Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest with us today, Dr. Diane Leonard. Dr. Leonard, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Oh, and, and uh, listeners, we are in for a great uh, a great conversation here. But I want you to know uh, about Diane before we get going here. Is she is a professor of management communication at NYU Stern School of Business and a communication coach for executives, teams, educators, and professionals. She has taught courses on strategic team communication and engaging audiences and served as director of Langone Education, and as a faculty development consultant for Stern Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning. She is the founder of Leonard & Company, a firm that provides communication coaching to educational institutions, corporations, and individuals who want to expand their communication abilities in diverse work settings. She is a leading expert in workplace communication, the author of Coaching Models, A Cultural Perspective, Strategic Communication at Work, The Impact Paradigm, and Humanizing the Remote Experience Through Leadership and Coaching, Strategies for Better Virtual Connections, which she co-authored with Dr. Amy Mednick. And that's going to be the book we're going to talk about a lot uh, through the course of this conversation today. But before we get into that book, uh, Diane, I'm really curious to start you out with a question I start off all my guests. Mm-hmm. When you hear responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Two different things. The first is a process of interaction with shareholders. And that process is focused on advancing shared goals inside the organization and outside based on values of principles and ethics. So the first way I think of it is as a process of interaction. The second way I think about it is referring to leaders and leaders who meet their leadership role and also their obligations, their ethical obligations to their stakeholders. 
leaders who are willing to be held accountable for the consequences of their actions, both on individuals, on the organization, and on society. So both the leader themselves and their process of interacting with shareholders. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's very uh, abundantly clear at this point, like with your, your bio and the way you answered that, that communication is such a, a key part of, of who yeah. you are as a person. I'm kind of curious, how, how did you get there? Like what, what was the thing that happened in your life that made it like click that, hey, communication is my thing? Well, I actually think that it was my childhood and that the essential nature of communicating, but also within my family structure, but also my background is theater. So I've been involved in the performing arts professionally since I was six years old. And I, I basically moved the same skills that you use to communicate with audiences to business audiences. Mm. That's the short answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, uh, I mean, communication, it's just so powerful, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, and those skills really do translate. I mean, uh, from from the performing arts to the business world, but you say that's the short answer. That sounds like there's a little bit more hanging out. Well, there, I huh? mean, it was a I've I've lived a long time, so it was an evolution of working with uh, running my own business, teaching communication, teaching acting, and then it all merged together. My interest in education, business, and and theater all merged into business communication. So I feel very fortunate. One of the people who I wake up every day and I love what I do and I'm, I don't understand why I'm paid for it because I just love it. That is always a blessing. Was it yeah. uh, Mark Twain that said, uh, when you, you make your vocation a vacation, you never work a day in your life? Yes. Yes. I relate to that. I so it. yes, it's uh, communication is everything. I mean, every field, it's critical and it's certainly essential for leaders. Yeah, no, it really is. And and that's one of the reasons why, you know, when I got uh, pitched to, to have you as a guest and I saw the title of, of the book that, that you, uh, you and, and uh, Amy wrote, the humanizing the remote experience through leadership and coaching, I thought, well, this is such a, you know, a, a timely topic, such a mm -hmm. timely book. Um, is this something that, that you all had been working on, you know, before the pandemic or did the Not pandemic really all. start it? Not, Not at, at all. all. Okay. For years, I would not coach my clients virtually. I would not teach online. But then when the pandemic happened, I had to. And because of that, coaching online and teaching online all these things were happening to me, my colleagues, my clients, my students, and I wanted to make sense of it. So Amy and I got together to look at the brain research and to really understand what is happening. Why do we get tired after a day of Zoom calls? Why is it so different when we're in a, in a little digital box? So we were living and breathing this experience 
and wanted to make sense of it. So that's why we wrote the book. And and I think this was one of the pieces, again, it, it makes complete sense because I think this is one of the pieces that a lot of people really struggled with, especially early on, because I think everybody went through that that process that you were talking mm-hmm. about there is, you know, nobody really, I mean, people were starting to kind of use Zoom. We were in in some of the organizations I was in, Google Meets was just really starting to, to mm-hmm. kind of catch on. But it was more of the chat feature, not so much the the video feature. Um, but, but there was a sharp learning curve at the beginning of COVID. And, and we'll get into some of the other pieces of the book here. But I'm just kind of curious now as somebody who is an expert in this field and has seen this evolution kind of firsthand and experienced it along with everyone else. Do you think we've really gotten a lot better at it? And do you think we got a lot more room to grow? Both. I think that through practice, we've learned a lot of things, and but there's still a lot to learn. So when I start working with people online, one of the first questions I ask them is, what are you looking at? And very often they're looking at themselves. So the first thing I recommend is go to the three dots on the top of your little box and click on hide self view. Because when you communicate, you don't want to be talking to yourself, you're talking to another person. So even experienced business people who have been doing Zoom for a long time, sometimes they're unaware of this. And research has shown that it really affects the interaction when you're looking at yourself. So there are subtle little things. This is a little thing, but it definitely affects interaction. And so there's still plenty of things to learn. That is such a great tip. And it it makes so much sense, right? Because, you know, it's one of those things. And again, I'm sure you've probably experienced this in your work, but one of the things I'm always amazed with is, as a podcaster is, is when somebody hears their voice back, they always talk about, oh, I sound terrible. I'm like, oh, I think you sound great. Uh, is it that people just get distracted by looking at themselves or, or Well, they definitely get distracted by looking at themselves. But I know from teaching, from being a speech coach, which is essentially what I am, a communication coach, People don't know what they sound like because they're in their head. So anatomically, it's almost impossible to know what you sound like because the sound that comes out when you're speaking doesn't sound the same as on a recording. So it's pretty understandable that people are surprised. I actually have uh, students and sometimes clients read an article on how to watch yourself on video because people tend to just rip themselves apart and get really negative. Whereas, you know, there, there are plenty of positive things. So you want to start by noticing what's working. And then I'm sure there are a few things that can be improved. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I like that. And it's also, I guess there's a deal of an acceptance too. Yeah. Um, this is who I am. This is my voice. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I had a friend of mine who, who did the same thing and, and he got uh, he he was he would listen to the well, actually, he had read a review of, of a speech he gave and somebody mentioned in the, the comments that he sounded like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and, 
And he says, you know what? I listened to it back and, you know, I, I, I read the comment. I'm like, wow, how that was rude. But then I listened to it and I'm like, I do sound like Kermit the Frog. So, okay. So that wasn't a rude comment. That was factually true. And <laughs> you know? Kermit the Frog is a very lovable character. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Why would you be offended by sounding like yeah. Kermit the Frog, right? Oh, no, that's great. That That is a great tip. And, you know, and because, you know, I think that's one of the things that, that a lot of people try to do to get over that fear of public speaking is, you know, the, the, the big tip out there now is, you know, you've got this phone, record yourself and watch it back. And I've heard a lot of people say that was terrible for me because it 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 made it worse hearing and seeing myself. So it uh, makes you self-conscious when what you really want to be doing is focusing on how the listener is receiving your message. So it's about the message, not the personality and what what research has shown is that when people watch themselves, they get self-conscious, so they adjust their facial expressions rather than just talking. Mm. Yeah. And that is, wow. I think we've probably started branches for about 12 other podcast episodes already, <laughs> and we're not that far into this because that is that is so critical, too. I remember, again, talking to another friend who... Um, he, he was talking about after a meeting, somebody came up to him and asked him, said, you know, uh, you know, I like what you had to say, but why were you mad? He goes, I wasn't mad. And he goes, well, mm. you need to tell your face the next time. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, I had no clue. I was given angry face, but you know, that, that facial connection that is. Oh, that is yes. Certain. So, so that's in communication. We talk about congruence, which is you want your words, your body language and your voice to all convey the same message. And when there's a mismatch, people tend to believe what they see more than the words. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 not to get too technical, but uh, people believe about seven to 10% they believe the words and 90% is how something is said, what the person looks like and sounds like. So nonverbal communication is really important. Yeah. Well, and, and that, so that, that kind of brings us to the, the book a little bit there, because you talk a bit about um, these things and how easy it is in a virtual setting for, for that to, to happen, right. That, that incongruency, you know, if you're, yeah. you're not looking at the camera, you're looking at the wrong screen or you're right. reading from a script. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like how, how easy is it for, for you to create that miscommunication in, in virtual settings? It's very easy to create the miscommunication because there are a lot of challenges. First of all, we're in a very limited space. We're right next to each other. So we don't have any of the spatial cues. You don't see where someone's sitting in relation to someone else. There's no movement. There's no body language. It's very limited body language. And actually, the face is the most expressive part of the body. What can happen is a face can be too close to the camera. It can be too far away. It can, it can, there can be a, um, a problem with the internet connection. So cues are distorted. 
And the brain needs those cues to really understand the other person. Part of the reason people get tired on Zoom calls and when they're remote is because the brain is working overtime to make up for those missed and distorted nonverbal cues. It's taxing to the brain, actually. What's what's ironic is that it's nice to be home. You know, you don't have to travel, so there's a convenience factor. But then once you're communicating, there are some challenges. And one of them is the missed and distorted cues. So spatial cues are missing, uh, body language cues, even audio cues, because we're getting it straight from a speaker. We're not hearing voices from different parts of the room. So all of those are different than what our brain is accustomed to. And it, it hmm. takes work. Yeah, no, that is so interesting. Like I never really thought about all of that, you know, because again, you know, you, you, we, we see, you know, the, the Zoom call bingo, right? You know, hey, can you hear me now? Is my camera on? Is, is you know, uh, am I muted or you need to unmute yourself and, and, and all of those things. But that makes so much sense because the way the brain processes information and, and have to fill in those gaps. I never really thought about that. But um, yeah, yeah, and all, all those things that you're bringing up is really what causes what's called cognitive overload. Like there are too many things to think about. You have to think about, you know, where is my coffee? Am I going to spill it on my keyboard? Is Am I on mute? Can you see my shared screen? These are all new factors that we have to, our brain has to focus on that have nothing to do with the actual message. So there's a lot more that we're managing. And that's what causes, can cause mental fatigue and exhaustion. Yeah. Well, and, and it seems like the, the big players, you know, uh, Zoom has become kind of synonymous with the uh -huh. virtual meeting, kind of like Google with searching on the internet. Right. But it, it seems like they've, they've done a better job as we went through this of kind of accounting for some of that. Like, I, you know, one of the other things, and I, I'm assuming this probably factors into it as well, is as the presenter, like, kind of paying attention to what's going on in the background. You know, you don't want anything personal or private showing in the background. So now you've got to fuzz out your your background features and, and things like that. What, what role slash responsibility do the platforms have in kind of helping reduce that, that stress? Well, it's a very, very interesting question. What I find with Zoom, because I'm on it a lot, is that they keep adding features, but I'm not aware of them. <laughs> so all of a sudden, there's a whole new technology that I have to adjust to. So it's it's an interesting interplay between participant and the platform. I think there are certain things that the speakers have to be responsible for, like lighting. Sometimes you just can't see people. Or sometimes people don't realize how distracting it is when their camera is off. And so a lot of things that are nonverbal are missing, which makes it necessary to be explicit about what we say. So saying, please keep your cameras on, or 
If you need to ask a question, use the raise hand icon. So giving instructions becomes important, but that's the speaker's responsibility. Yeah. No, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because uh, one of my friends just the other day shared the video, and I'm, I'm not sure if you had seen this or not, about the, uh, you're talking about the Zoom features when they they added the, I think they called them filters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the, the lawyer that had, had logged on, and uh, I think one of his kids had used it and actually turned on like the a filter for like a puppy dog face. Oh, yes, I've seen it. <laughs> and, and you could just hear the anxiety on this poor guy's face because he's this professional, like you would think it was a deposition. And, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so, and he couldn't fix it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's it's that's a good point is, you know, these new features need to be communicated. And, that's but, right. So there we are back at communication. So even <laughs> the platforms have to communicate with the with the users. Well, and, and I want to circle back, too, because you, you mentioned the, the camera uh, piece. Now, you know, I think most of my listeners know now because I, I think it's come up a couple of times on here when I'm recording. We, we don't have a camera on right now. Uh, I do that to preserve bandwidth because it creates some issues and, and all that. Um, but one of the topics that came up during the pandemic, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had a, a lot of, you know, the, the George Floyd instance and, and, and all those sorts of things. Um, that that happened, and there was a lot of discussion about cameras on, cameras off, and you know a lot of employees, especially in the African American community, uh, wanted to leave their cameras off because you know they were stressed, they were, uh, you know, they'd been up crying, they'd been having difficult conversations with their family, and then you had employers who were like, you know, well. I think from a good place, we're like, well, I want to see you. I want to improve communications. I need to see your face. There, there has to be some kind of balance and, and emotional intelligence applied to, it's not just, hey, you need to have your camera on. We, we got to have that extra layer of conversation to realize there may be a reason why people want to have their camera off, right? Yes, I. there definitely can be. Because my field is communication and I know how much the nonverbal factors in, when you can see somebody, it adds so much to the messaging. Of course, you want to be sensitive when people have really difficult situations, but I ask people to keep their camera on and explain about the nonverbals and how we are paying attention to the whole person, their words, their body language, and their voice. Even though it's limited, we get more of the message when the camera is on. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Um, well, Dr. Leonard, we need to take a quick break to, to run some commercials here. Uh, But when we come back on the other side, we're going to dive a little bit more into humanizing the remote experience through leadership and coaching. All right, listeners, we are back uh, with Dr. Diane Leonard co-author of Humanizing the Remote Experience Through Leadership and Coaching, Strategies for Better Virtual Connections. We've had a great conversation so far about uh, the ins and outs and why communication is so important. Um, 
but I'm kind of curious because you you have some uh, some methods for leaders on how to make that virtual experience a little more enjoyable. So what what do you what tips do you have for leaders to make the virtual environment feel a little bit more uh, humanized, a little bit more comfortable for folks? Yeah, so comfort is a great word to use. What we did in the book was we focused first on what the challenges were and then on strategies to mitigate those challenges. So as a species, human beings need three things always. They need to feel safe and comfortable. So I appreciate that you use the word comfortable. They also need to understand, they, we need to understand one another. And we also want to feel a sense of belonging. And this is through evolution, through time. We were, it, it was important to be safe. It was important to understand one another and important to feel a sense of community and belonging. So what can happen when you're alone, remote, is that you can feel isolated. You can also feel overloaded because you have to think about so many new things on the computer like we were talking about. And you can, all of these things can cause stress. So the first thing we addressed was how to control stress rather than have stress control you. And they're basically two different buckets that we looked at. One is mental activities and others are physical activities. So some of the ways that you can do, we instead of saying mental, we can say mind-based strategies. So some of those are just simply focusing on something for a moment to get centered. Also reframing things so that you're not looking at at things negatively, you look at them positively. So for instance, instead of a problem, you could look at it as an opportunity. And looking at something from multiple perspectives really can release some of the stress that's building up. Because what you want to do is manage the stress so that uh, it doesn't become prolonged and excessive. We all have stress. Stress is, it motivates us into action. So short-term stress is actually very good. Long-term stress is problematic. So we want to use these mind-based strategies and physical strategies to manage that. And a very interesting mind-based strategy is naming your emotions. So as soon as you name what you're feeling and you put a label on it, you can address it rather than it controlling you. You can say, okay, now I'm experiencing this. And as soon as you do that, the cognitive part of your brain starts working, the logical part of your brain, rather than being consumed and overwhelmed by the feeling. So these are simple, simple activities. The physical activities also are simple. Some of them are just taking deep breaths to slow down the um, slow down the whole system and the hormones that are flowing through your body. Also doing physical activity. So 
taking a walk. I mean, I got a dog during COVID, so now I walk four times a day. It's very helpful. <laughs> um, uh, sleeping, having light, uh, sufficient light. These are simple things that can help you with, with the stress. Uh, I can keep go on in terms of understanding. There are things we can do by managing our energy, not getting exhausted because that will keep us engaged. Something that we learn that I find fascinating is that every 90 minutes, it's really important to take a break mm -hmm. because the brain is on high focus and you need some downtime to refuel. It's like running out of gas. When people just plow through, it's the body has no time to recover. So we need to alternate activity with rest. My absolute favorite strategy, and this is one I've started doing, it's what's called an end of the workday ritual. So at a certain point, I shut my computer, I've gone through what I've done for the day, I have my to-do list, and I let my brain know, we are finished. No more work today. Now we're going to rest. And then it's my brain then knows it gets a cue. It's rest time. And I find the rest and recovery really helpful. Yeah. No, that, that is, that is good advice there. I'll tell you, um, one of, one of the things that I did, I remember reading some research early on that talked about, uh, uh, nature and, and the color green uh, and the mm -hmm. restorative effects. So I, I repositioned kind of my desk and everything. So I had, I had a window that looked outside and, and, you know, could look at the trees. So I could just kind of like look up and, and get that. But I like that last piece you said, because I think that is probably one of the things that we're seeing that people have had the, the most struggle with, with, remote work, especially jobs that are continuing uh, to allow, you know, 100% or even if it's, you know, 60% or whatever percentage of, of remote work or telework is making that distinction between work time and off time. Correct. And, Correct. And I like that. Uh, it's so important when we can work any time of the day, anywhere. So we can literally be working 24-7, but that is not good for the body or the mind. And uh, so really uh, being skillful about managing our own energy is what's key. I actually learned there's somebody who talks about corporate athletes, and he, he uses the principles of energy management to, to refuel to rest and recover and then go for it. It's challenging. It, it really requires discipline to say, I'm going to stop working. Yeah. Well, and it was, and I had this conversation with several folks on here, you know, through the pandemic and, and uh, you know, even, even since reintegration or whatever word that, that you want to associate with it. But it's like, you know, again, a, a popular topic was, well, what if my people are, you know, taking time to go watch Netflix. Well, 
Okay. Good. You know, yeah, right. Good. <laughs> you know, they're responding to email at 3 a.m. What if they go watch Netflix for, you know, an hour or two? Now, sure, you don't want them watching it all day and doing nothing, but if they're accomplishing. I also think as leaders, it's important to model healthy behavior. So if you're contacting people at two in the morning, that sends the message to them that they should be working at two in the morning or responding at two in the morning. And that's really not taking care of your people. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And yeah, and I agree with that. Absolutely. Modeling the behavior. That is a huge piece of, of what I teach here is, is you are always on display. And um, so I, I love that you said that because, so let me ask you this. So you mentioned the workplace ritual, maybe that's it. But if you had one, if, if somebody said, you know, Diane, what is the one thing that I could do? Uh, what, what would it be? Well, I feel strongly about the workplace ritual, but I also feel strongly about physical activity and uh, alternating uh, high-level activity with low-level activity. Critically, critically important. So So those are things that manage stress and manage cognitive overload, but there's also things that you need to do for other people like to give them a sense of belonging. So as leaders, creating safety for your people, showing empathy for your people, all of these promote well-being, they increase engagement, and they strengthen connections. So there's just a lot of little things that can be done, and it depends on what's needed. So burnout is a fascinating topic. I don't know if you've talked with other with other guests about burnout, have you? Uh, we had a few guests on here chat about burnout, yes. Yeah. So the three symptoms of burnout are exhaustion, which is mental and physical, um, disengaging, and also, what is the third one? It was going over um, my head and I forgot too. Okay. And, and, and disconnecting, disconnecting. So all of those, there are things you can do for them. So being exhausted, you can manage the, the stress. Um, being, feeling, oh, I know what it is. It's feeling inefficient, feeling a sense of inefficacy. So one thing, when you feel bad about you're evaluating your own performance as not positive, one of the things you can do is go out and do a small act of kindness for somebody else. And as soon as you do things for others, you feel better about yourself. So simple things can overcome burnout, which can be a very serious thing when you just work and work and work. And as leaders, we want to do things to make sure that our employees don't burn out. Yeah. Well, and and so I can I can hear it now because I think some leaders are still struggling with that. And they're going to be like, well, Diane, you know, that's very easy to do when we're in the office and we're walking down the halls. You can 
you know, you can physically see when somebody's shoulders are slumped or, you know, maybe their mascara is running or they're, you know, they, they look, their tie is disheveled or whatever it is. It's hard to do in a virtual environment. We don't get to see each other. So how can coworkers, leaders, yeah. managers, how can they bridge that virtual gap to be able to show that care, concern, and empathy for their coworkers? Well, one of the things that has to happen when we're remote, because some of our nonverbal is missing or distorted, we have to use explicit verbal communication. So we have to use words. Checking in on people, how are they doing, is a way to find out. Getting to know people, um, asking questions, being open about how you are so that they're open about how they are. It doesn't have to be touchy-feely, but just checking in and finding out how people are doing gives them a sense that you care. And so part of humanizing the remote experience is communicating to connect. And, and there are ways to do that. You know, listening, choosing your words carefully, um, being clear about expectations. These are all things we should do regularly in person, but become even more important when we're remote. Yeah. I I a hundred percent agree with that last statement because I, I found myself uh, kind of in that trap, if you will, at the beginning of of COVID, the the kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know, uh -huh. forgetting to be intentional about reaching out and you know getting lost in hey, I've got to get myself set up, I got to take care of myself, and uh, you know, not reaching out to people as as much as I should have, and um. You know, I, I had to do some work to to kind of repair that. And, you know, some folks had to do some work to repair their relationships with, with me as well. Uh, I think you said it perfectly. It's being intentional right. about caring yeah. and communicating in a way that people know you care. Right. And. And that's the thing, like, again, you, you mentioned the, the touchy feely piece. I always, always get a chuckle out of that. Cause you know, always, uh, you know, uh, my listeners know I'm, I'm a Marine Corps veteran and, and, uh, you know, that's the big piece of military leadership. I like to debunk is, you know, it's not all about slobbering, spitting, yelling, and screaming. Like there's, there's a lot of love, care, and concern that goes uh -huh. into military leadership for one another. Huge. And yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's what I always like to say is like, look, you're, I don't think there's anybody that's that's preaching this message any better than than Brene Brown right now. But mm -hmm. people care that you care. That's right. right? That's um, right. And and it's it's okay to be a little touchy feely every once in a while. You got to make sure you're not being creepy about it, but be exactly. okay being touchy feely. <laughs> <laughs> I think empathy is a good way to think about it. I learned something interesting about empathy in the process of writing this book that there are two different kinds of empathy. One is affective empathy, where you actually feel what the other person is feeling. Like if somebody says, I feel your pain, that's affective empathy. But there's also cognitive empathy, which is I can understand what you're feeling. I don't have to feel it myself, but I understand it. And that's plenty, plenty good. Yeah. Yeah. Is, and that's that's the baseline. It's like people 
people care. I, rem- I remember growing up in Northeast Tennessee, going through German class and my, my German teacher telling us, she said, if you don't remember any other piece of information, remember Ich bin Ausländer und spreche nicht gut Deutsch. Means I'm yeah. I'm an outlander and I don't speak good German. Mm-hmm. She said, "If you're in Germany and you say that, the German people are going to appreciate you because you at least cared enough to learn that phrase." <laughs> you know, when I used to years ago, I worked a lot in Japan, so oh, I yeah. took Japanese, and my Japanese clients told me. You speak the worst Japanese we've ever heard, but we really appreciate that you tried. Right. So please don't speak Japanese is basically what they were saying. <laughs> but but that's it, right? Is is people care that you care enough to at least yeah. make an effort? And you know, I think that that you asked me what is one thing that's most important when I teach communication. What's most important to me is that speakers pay attention to the other person and by paying attention to the other person it makes them feel like they matter and bottom line that's what everybody wants to feel 100% 100% and that that is that is solid gold right yeah, there i agree right there. and i must say that in in when you're remote you can't make direct eye contact. It's very hard and it's harder to show that, which is why we need to be intentional in our language uh, and our word choice so that people get that in different ways. Yeah. So I got to ask, uh, we, we started at the very beginning talking about how you weren't a big fan of, of virtual meetings and all that. Um has that changed? Have you warmed up to it at all? Or do you see it yeah. as a necessary evil? No, it's a really wonderful question because, you know, there's a paradox. The paradox is that it's very convenient. It's very accessible. Um, and we're, we're more connected to people, but uh, you can, you can feel disconnected. Uh, but because I have all these strategies now, I'm very clear on being explicit about here's what we're going to do. Here are some guidelines, how to make it work. There are ways to make it work. And then I can enjoy the convenience of not leaving my house. And so, yes, I have warmed up to it. (laughs) Love it. Well, Dr. Leonard, we've been chatting here for a little over 40 minutes at this point. Um, Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you want to leave listeners with before we get out of here today? I would just say that it's really important to prioritize people as a leader, to really make them, to get to know them, to show empathy, to respect people's time and trust that that's really the key message. And any way that you can show that goes a long way. Mm. I I agree with that 100%. Uh, absolutely. So I, I love that as a, as a nice uh, takeaway there at the end. So I appreciate that. So, um, you know, again, listeners, we've been uh, chatting with Dr. Diane Leonard. 
uh, co-author of the book, Humanizing the Remote Experience Through Leadership and Coaching, Strategies for Better Virtual Connections, uh, co-authored with Dr. Amy Mednick. Uh, so people want to find out more about you, what it is that you do, uh, find out more about Amy and, and what she does. What, what are some good places for them to, uh, to go looking for that information? Well, there's a central location, which is a website with the initials of the book, H-T-R-E, Humanizing the Remote Experience, H-T-R-E-Book.com. And then that will lead you both to Amy's website. She's a psychiatrist and an expert in neuropsychology. And then to my site, which is Leonard and Company, which is really about communication between people and among teams. I love it. Yeah, I and just for for uh, listeners, uh, kind of touching back on that, uh, the profession piece. The the preface opens with uh, this book's this book comes from a teacher without her classroom and a psychiatrist without her couch. So <laughs> I, I thought that was one of the best opening lines of a book I've read in a really long time. So thank you. Uh, yeah, so I I strongly urge you all to go grab a copy of this because I look leaders. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody, everybody, I know you're all are still struggling with this. Uh, some of you are doing a better job than others. Virtual conferencing, it's not going away. It's here to stay. Uh, telework, remote work, uh, it's going to be here in some form or fashion going into the future. The better job you can do at this, the better service you're going to be doing yourself. And this book uh, is is a good guidebook to help you increase that skill set. So grow, grab a copy, uh, familiar, familiarize yourself with the work these ladies are doing and uh, make yourself a better leader by being a better virtual communicator. Uh, Dr. Leonard, thank you very much for being an outstanding guest, uh, sharing your insight, your wisdom with my listeners and just being an outstanding communicator uh, mm-hmm. on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Earl. It was a pleasure having a conversation with you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. 
Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.